Our scripture reading for this morning is recorded for us in the letter to the Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verses 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. We were having a youth meeting. Our teenagers from our congregation I was serving down in Florida. It was the first year I was down there, and I suggested that, how about if we have a pool party? a swimming pool party, because uh, some of them had swimming pools. And a bunch of them looked at me and they were like, ah, it's boring. And I thought, what? When I was in high school, man, a swimming pool party, that would have been awesome. None of my friends had swimming pools. Go up to the Midwest, not everybody has a swimming pool, like down in Florida. But it's like, eh, no big deal. It's interesting that sometimes when you have things of value, the more you're familiar with them, the less you appreciate them. And it's, it starts to take away your, your appreciation of things just by the fact that you're around them so much. It happens with people, too. It happens with cars. And think of toys you had when you were a child. After a couple months of that brand new Christmas present, it didn't take long, and eh, whatever. There's a famous saying by Chaucer in the 1300s, familiarity breeds contempt. And that's true a lot of times. In front of us, we have the words written to the Jewish Christians who had converted to Christianity out of the Old Testament faith, had now come into the New Testament faith, had come to believe in Christ as their Savior, that he truly was the Messiah that they'd been waiting for. Their sins are all forgiven. They had the hope of going to heaven purely as a gift from God. And this author now has to write to them because they're starting to grow apathetic. They're starting to not appreciate what they originally were probably very excited about. And whenever I read this text, I always think, how many of them possibly heard the apostles themselves preach to them? How many of them possibly even met Jesus himself after he had risen from the dead? How many of them possibly had, had witnessed miracles by either Christ or his apostles? Maybe some of them had even been present in Jerusalem on the great day of Pentecost to see the flames of tire, a fire on top of the heads of the disciples as they began preaching the gospel in languages they'd never studied before, seeing a mass conversion of over 3,000 people that day. How many of them had been involved or had witnessed some of these tremendous things and yet now, this book is written probably in the early 60s AD, they're already starting to grow apathetic about all of this, starting to kind of fade away in their faith. Kind of says something about us as human beings. One of the saddest questions I've ever had a young person come and ask me was this, how can I get my mom and dad to go to church? It was a 13-year-old girl in confirmation class. She was in a Christian school at our congregation. Her parents had put her there intentionally so she would learn to appreciate the Christian faith. And now she 
as a 13-year-old, pointed to me to this passage in her catechism right here and said, how can I get my mom and dad to go to church? The primary source for endangering your faith, for you losing your faith potentially, the primary source for that isn't outside in the world. It's you. It's inside of me. It's inside of us. If you want to see how important God's word is, just think about how much, how many different ways your and my sinful human flesh can try to come up with reasons not to want to go and hear it or to follow it. We can come up with all the excuses in the world, in the world and just throw a little bit of COVID in there and that just multiplies things. It gives us one more excuse for staying away from word and sacrament where God can strengthen our faith. When I was five years old, I had to have my front teeth pulled in a surgery operation because of something happening in my mouth. And the, uh, the way they did it was they put a napkin over my face and sprayed aerosol across the napkin. And the, the doctor told me to count backwards from 10. I think I got to eight and I was out. And I told dentists about this years later when I was your age and they said, you had ether. It's like, ether, really? said, yeah, they were still using ether. That's how old I am. <laughs> still using ether. Nowadays, if they're going to put you out for surgery, they'll usually use some kind of IV drip as well as maybe some gas that they have you breathe in. That's the anesthesia you get to sort of knock you out. It takes a little while sometimes. So ask yourself, what is the spiritual anesthesia in my life that is slowly trying to suffocate my faith? What is the thing that's trying to keep me from Christ right now in my life? Because we all have something. I know I sure do. Losing your faith is usually not something that happens overnight. It's a gradual, slow process. It has to do with just changing and shifting your priorities. It has to do with falling in love with certain sins and not really wanting to let them go because they don't seem so bad. And everybody does them. There are a lot of different ways that we can have spiritual anesthesia begin to suffocate and kill off our faith. There are many atheists alive today who can quote for you perfectly the words of the Apostles' Creed. Our relationship with the Word of God is absolutely crucial to retaining this precious faith that God has given us. Our Lord has chosen to communicate to you and me how to get to heaven through words, through language, through worship, through hearing and reading and studying that word of God. That's how God has selected to come to you. And you cannot have a relationship with God apart from his word. As Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And so the word of Christ contains the one and only way that the Holy Spirit has chosen to create this love toward Christ in your heart, an appreciation of him as your Savior, and ultimately have you create a longing in you for going to heaven. And that's why the author to Hebrews, to the book of Hebrews, says, let us, let us not lose this. Let us encourage one another. So much more, he says, as you see the day approaching, knowing that Judgment Day is coming. The gospel is an alien teaching. It's not something that's just naturally in us, like your knowledge of 
even your knowledge of right and wrong, that's kind of naturally in you. But that's not the way it is with the gospel. The gospel is a foreign teaching. It comes from heaven. It's not in the minds of people. It's not something we naturally keep in mind. We have to have it fed to us over and over again to keep us in that grace of Christ, to keep us trusting in him alone for our hope of heaven to keep us relying on what he has done on the cross for us rather than on ourselves. So this alien teaching needs to be poured into our ears and into our minds through hearing that word of God. That's why Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. St. Paul refers to this hearing this word as the power of God unto salvation. Now, God has a lot to say about families continuing to teach this to their children to keep them in the faith. And that's a very important place where this takes place. But it also takes place in public corporate gatherings where we go to hear the word of Christ together and to receive his sacrament, which he tells us, by the way, to take often. Part of the reason for public worship for you as a Christian is not you. Part of it's for other people. Ever think about that? That one of the reasons God also wants you go to, to go to church is to encourage other people and to edify other people? I used to serve a congregation about four blocks away from here. Frequently, members of that church would tell me they were so excited to see when the college kids would come back. It was so edifying for them. It made them, it made them uh, feel hopeful about the work of the church in our fallen culture. So your presence in God's house is not only just for you, it's also for the people that you might encourage. It's also to have the extra voices singing the hymns of praise to God. It's also that you can stand along with the other believers and confess the holy Christian faith in the words of the various creeds that we use. That's an edifying thing, that's a strengthening thing, not just for you, but for the other people, the other, the other people who might be facing death in the days ahead, elderly people, little children. You benefit, all of them, with your presence in God's house. The Greek word that's used here to urge someone to do something is uh, parasuno. It's an interesting Greek word. It, it actually is a word that you can use to irritate somebody. It can actually mean to irritate someone. But it's used here in the sense of agitating someone, to encourage them, to invite them, to try to stimulate them again as a Christian to want to come back into corporate worship. And the reason for all of this is because what we possess needs to be reappreciated, needs to be re-treasured. We can help edify one another back to the gospel. He says, let us hold fast our confession of our hope without wavering. May God bless you and may he use you as well to encourage others in that worship of Christ so that someday we can all stand in his presence in the throne above. Amen.